Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. To continue in our study in the book of Revelation, I want to uh, ask you to open up your Bible with me, Revelation chapter 17. Thank you. I'm going to hand off these uh, microphones for... Anyone who's making comments? Hallelujah. Let me pack up all my stuff so I can make the long trip. All right, Revelation chapter 17. So we've just come through, as we uh, wrapped up last week, the seven bowls of wrath that God has poured out on the earth. And can somebody remind me why uh, these seven bowls of wrath were being poured out by God in kind of just an overview of what was taking place on the earth at that time, that time that is to come. In chapter 16 and chapter... Yeah, mostly chapter 16, we read about the bold judgments that are being poured out on the earth. I want to uh, just get you in the mentality of where we are in this whole process of uh, these end times events that are playing out. What was the uh, purpose of these bowls of judgment that had been poured out on the earth? Does anybody remember? Yes. They're full of um, things like sores and and death and different things. And I think it's like God's last-ditch effort to see if anybody will repent. Absolutely. But, but, but they ended up all cursing God. Yes, that's right. So all those who had... And remember that all of these judgments were only affecting who? Who were they affecting? Noel? Those who had the mark sealed on them. Who had taken the mark of the beast, correct. And so those who had taken the mark, we already know that they have sealed their fate. And uh, as a result of that, every one of these judgments is only polarizing people more and more. It's causing those uh, haters of God to hate God even more. And the uh, culmination of these seven bowls, what was the last and perhaps the most violent of them all? Anybody remember? The last of the seven bold judgments. Patrick, you got that? Oh, mom, yep. Earthquakes? It was uh, the, the ultimate earthquake. The Bible describes it as the earth being utterly shaken. So uh, whatever, um, whatever infrastructure has been left over from the previous judgments... Uh, no doubt with an earthquake like this would all be toppled to the ground. Uh, all of our human ingenuity, all of our technology, all of our cell phone towers, all of our electrical grids, everything that man has created in these last hundred years will probably come toppling down in this final bold judgment. It will be a very terrible time to be on the earth. Okay, and so now I want to take tonight and I want to I'll share with you these three chapters. We're going to look at 17, 18, and 19. And we're going to hurry through the first two chapters of 17 and 18 because these are now going to return us to some metaphor and some symbology to explain to us why these great judgments are necessary. And so we're going to, once again, 
uh, examine the world system. So I'd like someone to read for us uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Who's going to volunteer for that? Patrick. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bows came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornification, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Okay, so we are seeing now, uh, this is, uh, again, this is a vision. This is uh, a premonition. This is not to be taken literally. This is uh, representative of a greater truth. And so if you, uh, let's just get a a picture of what we're seeing here. So the Bible describes a woman uh, who is described as a harlot, the great harlot who sits on many waters. And then it said that uh, uh, that she was sitting on a beast. Uh, sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, the beast having seven heads and ten horns. This is something we've seen before already in imagery. And on her forehead is her name, Mystery Babylon the Great. And so if you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is this? You're in luck because uh, the best way to interpret Scripture is to let Scripture interpret itself. And that's exactly what happens next as we see in verse 7. The angel says to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not, he is also himself the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. And then He said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire for god has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of god are fulfilled and the woman whom you saw is watch this is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth what is that city symbolically in the scriptures the city that the woman represents Sorry, Babylon, that is correct. Now, we talked a little bit about Babylon a couple of weeks back. And what does Babylon represent? We know that there was a physical city called Babylon at one time. It's no longer around. It uh, was located somewhere in the nation of Iraq. Uh, but today, Babylon is ancient. It is gone. It is uh, no longer. 
But what does Babylon represent? If I mention the word Babylon to a biblically thinking crowd, what should you be thinking about? Babylon. Marquita. Oh, I'm thinking babe of, like, babe of Christ or... Like, no, not quite. No. Dave? Isn't Babylon a picture of, like, hell? Um, the, or, well, or the, the, the world's attempt at creating like a great city. Um, it's like, it's like hell's attempt at Jerusalem, something like that. Something like that. It's the, basically the world system. So think of where the word Babylon comes from. Anybody know? Yes. The tower of Babel. What was the tower of Babel all about? It was man's attempt to replace God. Right. They said, let's make for ourselves bricks. We'll build a tower up to the heaven. And, uh, hey, we won't need God after that because we'll have a tower so big that uh, God won't be necessary. It was uh, man's attempt to be in the place of God. By the way, it's a great illustration for the power of uh, human government. So human government is able to accomplish some things, right? It's able to do great things, but... Government ultimately cannot be a replacement for God. You're only going to worship one or the other. If you don't worship God, you probably worship government. There's an entire uh, half of our political system that is worshiping government. Oh, just give the government all of our tax money, all of the all of the power, all of the authority, and they will provide for us. You're hearing an entire uh, group of political candidates today that are making that promise. You, if you'll pay more in taxes then we will provide for you good people. Just give us more power and more money, uh, more uh, fake money that comes from nowhere, and we will be your wonderful caretakers. Right? We've seen this tried in other places of the world. We shouldn't fall for it. But there's a lot of people who put their faith in government, and the reason is because they don't believe in God. All right? So we're only going to truly believe in one. If you believe in God, then guess what? You don't need government helping you because God is way better at providing for our needs, isn't he? So, uh, so when we think of Babylon, when we think of this city that is represented here by this scarlet woman and she is sitting on top of this, uh, this beast, we, that's what we should be thinking about. It is the world system as it works. And I've titled this message tonight, these three chapters are basically the final battle that Jesus has to win in order to usher in his new kingdom. And so everything that we've seen so far leading up to this moment is God pouring out his judgment upon the earth, right? But even with all this judgment, there are still systems in place. There are still kingdoms, there are still nations, there are still governments, there are still people who are shaking their fist at God. And they are all represented here by Babylon. And this woman is a representation of this human system, this attempted replacement of God on the earth. All right, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the woman. It also says now that she was sitting on top of the scarlet beast. This is something that we've already talked about in previous chapters, but I want to hear what, what do we think about uh, biblically-minded people when you see uh, these terms, a scarlet beast, ten horns, ten heads. Uh, what, is, what is that? What is that representing to us? Andre? dragon satan um yes behind the scenes obviously orchestrating but more specifically noel okay absolutely so antichrist and end times uh um government that is arising so we've read in previous chapters about how antichrist will rise there's also two other figures what who were they dave Besides Antichrist. Uh, The beast and the false prophet. The beast and the false prophet. And these three together are going to assume the governments and the nations of the world. They will institute a last day's political system, religion, and economic system. 
and, and they're going to roll them all together. And by the way, those things have not been possible until only you know, 50 to 100 years ago. But as of this moment, the technology is in place, the, um, the, the ability to have a worldwide government is already there. I mean, it could happen. With uh, cryptocurrency now uh, taking form, Google is, I believe, going to be a huge part of this. Uh, information technology, the connectedness of the world. So the Antichrist will take advantage of these things, electronic payments. And remember that one of the marks of the beast uh, is that you will not be able to buy or sell without this mark that, that people will have to take. Okay, so, so here we have these two systems. We have Babylon, represented by the harlot, who is sitting on top of the beast, which is the end times government of the Antichrist. So for a time, these two will be moving in unison. Does everybody catch that? So she is literally sitting on top of this scarlet beast represented, uh, it means, uh, the kingdom of the Antichrist. So there's a couple of interesting details here that we, that we ran past I want to catch real quickly. So um, we talked about here, yes, in verse 9, here is the mind which has much wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So um, there are historical kings that many people have tried to figure out who these kings are throughout history. Uh, We don't know, of course, for sure. But it could be that uh, some people interpret this to refer to seven historic Roman empires. It could be something like that, or emperors. It also could be uh, referring to seven successive world empires. There have been only uh, a few world empires that have taken control of the known world at their time. So there was Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. That's six. Those, are, those were uh, uh, kingdoms and um, uh, those were systems that were worldwide in their scope. Since then, we've only, we, we haven't had another one that was like them. So what, what we're possibly saying is that coming soon to a theater near you is the seventh one, which is this great empire uh, of unison between the harlot and the, uh, the, the system of the world and the influence of the Antichrist. Dave. There is a seventh kingdom that's worldwide in scope. It's the Islamic Caliphate, and ironically, Babylon's right in the center of it. This is true. So uh, there, there is a whole line of thought uh, uh, that is proposed by this book that Dave has uh, uh, referred to. It's called the Mideast Beast. And so it's the idea that, uh, that the kingdom of the Antichrist is going to arise not out of Europe, as many people have proposed, but out of uh, the Middle East. And uh, there is a caliphate. Uh, so it could be that. We don't know for sure. But uh, definitely a thought. Yes. I have a question. What about um, Hitler and Mao Zedong? They did nothing but kill people and starve people to death and murdered the Jews. So the difference between these six that I mentioned and those kingdoms that you're talking about is that these six were, were worldwide in scope. They, they were far-reaching to cover most of the known world at that time. So even though, yes, Hitler and Stalin and Mao Zedong and terrible socialist dictators of the last hundred years, uh, they, they did terrible things, but it was not in the same way a worldwide kingdom. Does that make sense? There were still forces in the world. There was a Western world that was fighting against all of those things. So that's why the, the seventh kingdom is certainly something to be looking for. Marquita. Is it also true that there's... Um Satan in different places of the islands, like um, like there's there's devils in um on the islands or anything. Oh, I'm sure there's devils on every island. 
but that is not uh, in our scripture here tonight. So, um, so then moving forward, I want to get through 17 and 18 very quickly because there's some really interesting things happening in chapter 19 that I want to make sure we get to tonight. So going on uh, into chapter 18, then we find uh, another angel coming down from heaven. Let me have someone volunteer to read verses 1 through 8. Andre, going to get that. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is falling, is falling. And it's become the habitation of devils and the whole of every foul spirit. Okay, let me, let me pause you for a second because I skipped over something that's very critical. At the end of chapter 17, uh, verse 15, it said, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Okay, so for a time, what we have to understand is that this harlot riding on the beast, it means that they will be working together in unison. But there will come a time when the beast, when the Antichrist movement is going to reject Babylon, the world system, and will destroy her. So there will be division in that union. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's where we pick up in chapter 18, as Babylon is falling. And a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Okay, we can pause right there. So the call from God, from heaven, is to come out from who? Her. her who, her, who is her? Babylon. The harlot, who represents? Babylon. Babylon, which is the world system. So this is the same message that we've been getting throughout the entire New Testament. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Those who are of the world are not of the Father, right? We, we get this same message again and again. So the call from heaven is to come out of her, my people, so that you do not share in her sins and receive her plagues. So this is a warning that is being given to the audience that is reading this, that you must uh, remove yourself from the influence of Babylon so that you're not included in all of these things that are about to happen to her. Everybody make, making sense so far? Okay, go ahead. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God have remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she have filled, filled to her double. How much she have glorified herself, and live deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she said in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in on, uh, <coughs> therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Okay, so uh, it appears that all of this world system, the worldly system, the thrones of government that are set against God will be judged and destroyed in one day. Let's read some more about that. I need somebody else to read verses uh, uh, 9 through, um, let's do 9 through... 13. You got that, Marquita? And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. 
standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Okay, so first we said it was one day, and now we read it's only one hour that Babylon is going to come crumbling down. Continue. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold, silver, and precious stones, and pearls, and fine linen, and purple, and silk, and scarlet, and all fine wood, and all manner vessels of ivory, and all manner vessels of most precious wood, and of brass and iron and marble, and cinnamon and odors and anointments, and francis and wine and oil, and fine flour and wheat, and beasts and sheep and horses, and chariots okay, and slaves. Pause right and there before before men. you read the rest. Uh, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots. Okay, so uh, obviously kings of the earth. We're talking about the kings of the earth who have uh, who have had uh, uh, trade and industry together with the harlot, with Babylon, the world system, the merchants of the earth. Why are the merchants of the earth mourning over the death of Babylon? Andre? Because they will no longer profit from it. They're so they- no longer profiting. That's right. They're no longer able to make money. And so when they're seeing the world system being uh, crashed to its core, they're mourning and weeping. Oh, the harlot is dying. Babylon, our system that has made us so much money, is, uh, is falling. Dave, you want to add to that? Uh, it, uh, it was saying that Babylon is going to fall in one hour. Uh, I was, it just dawned on me that it fell in one hour the last time it fell as well. When, the, when uh, was it Cyrus the Persian conquered him, it was right after the handwriting on the wall. Yeah. And Daniel uh, told him, your king's been uh, measured, divided, found wanting, and that hour they fell. Yep, yep. Uh, the difference between then and now, though, is that Babylon has grown to such an immense size. The world system truly is world, it's a worldwide system. And so for it to fall in one hour requires some major judgment. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But the reason I interrupted you, Marquita, is because this list of merchandise so far is all normal stuff. Gold, silver, stones, pearls, linen, purple, all this stuff. But when you get to the end of this verse, should perk your ears up. Uh, what is being counted as merchandise in this time? So, Marquita, let's finish that. Cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and? And Slaves and souls of men. Did you catch that? Slaves and souls of men. How do I know that this is true? There are more slaves in the world today than there ever have been in the history of the world. Uh, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, who spend their lives uh, filled with a torment over the slavery that's in America's history. And truly, it was horrific, the slavery that occurred here. But you know, in America, we overcame slavery, didn't we? We fought an entire civil war. We outlawed it. Uh, We emancipated the slaves. It is illegal in the United States. And we were only the second nation to do that in all of history, England being the first. But today, if people are upset about slavery, you know, you should go find some real-life slaves that are alive right now in places like Sudan, places like Nigeria, uh, in it, uh, all over the Muslim world, people trade people as if, as if it was the 1700s in the United States. That's where we should focus our energy and our anger because there are, there's more slavery today than there ever has been in the history of the world. And so the merchants, those people who are profiting off of the buying and selling of goods, services, and indeed the selling of slaves... Oh, they're going to be really upset on this day when Babylon falls. Okay, let's read, continue this, uh, verses 14 through 18. Who's going to read that? 14 through 18. Dave. The 
fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried, cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So I want to ask you to consider, what could bring the entire world system to its knees in one hour? We've already experienced a worldwide earthquake, but still, Babylon lived through that somehow and still needed to be judged. Yes? I think uh, technology breakdown. Certainly, that could be part of it, but what is the most destructive force we have in, in, uh, in uh, our capacity? Marquita? Um, war. War? Like, um, the government shutting down. Uh, I would be happy if the government shut down, actually. That, that, that would make my day. <laughs> I'm all for government shutdowns. Yes? Nuclear war. Nuclear warfare. Absolutely. So uh, this is another one of those things that is only possible within the last 50 to 100 years. The atomic bomb. Before the atomic bomb was created, it was impossible to destroy the world system in one hour. You could maybe do it in a week or two or a month, but certainly not in an hour. But with the advent of nuclear technology, you certainly could. If the, if the missiles passed each other in the air, uh, this is what the Cold War was all about, mutually assured destruction, right? And the Soviets were watching the Americans, and the Americans were watching the Soviets, and the only thing that kept everybody alive was that if, if you guys launch, then we're going to launch, and everybody's going to get hurt. Well, most likely, we speculate, we don't have evidence of this in the scripture, but it's absolutely possible that the way Babylon falls, the way that it's described, they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning. Sounds a lot like nuclear fallout to me. All right, so then we're going to wrap up chapter 18, and there's some exciting stuff in chapter 19. A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more, nor craftsmen of any craft shall be found in you. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine. The voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. This is the greatest sin of Babylon. The greatest sin of Babylon is that she is responsible for snuffing out the prophets and the saints and creating martyrs. Without Babylon, there would be no martyrs. Who killed Jesus ultimately? It was the world. The world rejected Jesus. And beginning with the blood of righteous Abel, the blood of all the prophets, the blood of Jesus Christ and all the martyrs since, all of that blood, the responsibility lies with Babylon. And that's why her judgment here is so incredibly harsh. Is everybody with me tonight? All right, Marquita. Um, yes, um, for um, the harlot that has judgment, I, I'm kind of confused. Is she a sin to to the world? Because I'm kind of confused. Is it God that makes judgment or her making judgment? 
God is bringing judgment against the harlot. Okay, and the harlot is a representation of Babylon, which is a representation of the world. So we say that every Christian has three enemies. The devil, the flesh, and the world. So Babylon is a representation of the world, and, and uh, Babylon is represented here in our scripture by this harlot. Does that make sense? Okay. So God has to remove that wickedness from the earth in order for this final battle to take place. And now things start getting very, very exciting. Because in this chapter 19, things are about to change. Things are about to, uh, to make a, a huge difference. I'd like someone to get um, Matthew chapter 24 for me. Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. And so with the end of chapter 18, we can say that this is the end of the tribulation, period. We know that the time of tribulation... Uh, it's going to last seven years. Time, it's the time, times, and half a time, times two. Uh, three and a half years of the first part, three and a half of the second part, seven years. And so with the end of chapter 18, this is the, the last of those last days. And this is how, what Jesus describes. You got that? Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. Immediately after tribulation... Of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now remember, this is Jesus speaking. His disciples just asked him, when are all these things going to take place? And how is it all going to play out? And Jesus told us in this gospel account, Matthew 24, that at the end of the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, Jesus will come. The Son of Man will appear in the heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Okay, who's mourning because of the appearance of the Son of Man? Hold on, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's read. Let's read. Let's read chapter 19 uh, because here is a victory song. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. Who's going to read that for me? Mom. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord of our God. No, Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged her... uh, he, have, he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. Okay, so we have, uh, we have a, a victory song in heaven over the destruction of Babylon. So one of those three enemies has been destroyed in this moment. That's amazing! We fight and strive every day against the world system, don't we? The kingdom of God is at war with the world. But right there in chapter 18... The world system is defeated. Babylon has fallen, and heaven gets excited. You should get excited too. All right, then we see, uh, let me have somebody read verses 6 through 10. Caitlin's going to read that for us, 6 through 10. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Oh, brother. Now we have the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is a party. Where is this great party taking place? In heaven. That's right. The wedding feast of the Lamb. Who's getting married? Andre? The church. Jesus is getting married to? The church. The rest of us. Oh, my goodness. We are his bride. And for these 2,000 plus years, you know what Jesus has been doing? He's been preparing the bride. How has he been preparing us? How does a bride prepare for her wedding? Any, any brides, how did you prepare for your wedding? <laughs> Noel? Set a date. Uh, I'm talking about the wedding day. How do you prepare for your wedding day? Definitely had to rest. Um, well, we had to. I gotta get dressed. Oh, we gotta get dressed. And um, make sure that um, those who are supposed to be there with me on my wedding day actually <laughs> showed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What What are we talking about? Are you just going to show up to the wedding and flip-flops and, uh, and uh, uh, how do you show up to your wedding? Yes, Gabby. Um, he was prepared like he, um, he got just like all fancy. So, yes, absolutely. The, the, do not be confused about the wedding day. The wedding day is not about the groom. It's about the bride. It's about the beauty and the adornment of the bride. It is her day. For you uh, future husbands, uh, just back off and let her have her day, right? It's all about the bride. And there's a presentation as the bride comes forward. Who gives this bride, right? And there's a presentation to the new groom. It's a beautiful thing. I've seen... As, uh, as grooms, for the first time, they see their bride coming down the aisle, adorned in beautiful white. The hair is like from heaven. The, 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 you know, the, the, the face, the nails, everything is done. The shoes, they've spent hours and hours and maybe even days preparing for this moment. This is all a picture of this moment. Jesus has been preparing his bride, that's you and me, for this moment, the wedding feast of the Lamb, when finally we are, uh, we are coming together as one, the church, into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the moment. We talked about the defeat of one of our enemies, the world system. This moment is the defeat of a second enemy. Which one? The flesh. It's at this moment that the flesh will finally be defeated. This is crazy. This is amazing. You're no longer going to have to fight. You know why? Because in marriage, there is unison. There, in marriage, the two shall become what? One flesh. That is legally, that is uh, culturally, and physically. There is a consummation of a marriage of two people who come together. And this is the moment when Jesus receives his bride to himself. We will be united with Christ. So now two out of three is done. This is incredible. And this is happening in heaven. This is before the final victory on earth. All right? 
Now we're about to see what happens. Verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. You know, it's, uh, you know it's, he's the good guy, right, from the, from the spaghetti westerns? The one who rides on the white horse is always the good guy. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, capital F and capital T. Who's that? That's Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. There's no question here who this is. This is 100% the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first time Jesus came, he came as a weak little baby in a manger born to a couple of peasants. He came in humility. He came without much physical strength. He came as a lamb who lays down his life for the flock. When he comes a second time, nobody is going to be confused about who he is. All the world will see him arrive. Verse 14, the armies in heaven. Who's that? And? And saints. That's us. All the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You want to you prepare for heaven? Might be good to learn how to ride a horse. We will follow him on white horses. Now, what is the direction of this journey? Where is Jesus and the armies coming from, and where are they going to? Noel? Where? Armageddon. Okay, now remember, in the valley of Megiddo, which is directly outside of Jerusalem, it is between, uh, it is, be, it, it's in a valley, it's a huge place, and it's just outside of Jerusalem. If you remember from a few chapters before, you will remember that the Antichrist has gathered the kings of the world into this valley, this plain, this flat area. And what was their purpose? Why has the Antichrist gathered all the armies of the world? What is, what is his intention? Yes? To take Jerusalem for the world. That's right. To destroy Jerusalem. Why are they trying to destroy Jerusalem? Yes? Um, Ramon, you better get on the ball, man. Uh, <laughs> Andre's getting both sides. Jerusalem is first God's chosen people first. Like they are the Hebrews are God's chosen people. They are God's chosen people, but why else is the Antichrist so angry at the Jews? Yes, Marquita. Because they're Christ's children. They are the children of God. But there's another reason why the Antichrist is so ticked off at them that he is gathering the armies of all the world to destroy them. Noel. This is also true, but that's not what I'm going for. Yes, Mr. Lonzo. Would it be because of the slaughter land that where the, the temple of uh, Jerusalem fit the, the temple of, uh, of the Muslim? They want it, that slaughter land is over that slaughter land where the temple fit. That probably has something to do with it. But there's more to the story here. Remember what is happening to the Jews during these last times, these seven years of tribulation. Maybe it's because they won't follow the Antichrist? This is it. Because of all the people on the earth, the ones who are resisting the movement of Antichrist are the Jews. They are the ones who are stubbornly refusing to participate in this glorious world system that the Antichrist has tried to set up. 
They said, "Uh uh-uh, not us. You are an antichrist. They are calling him out the whole time. And even though at this moment we know that they have not put their trust in Christ, at least not yet, we know that they have resisted the antichrist. They are the ones whose blood is being spilled from the antichrist. And now as a final act of, uh, of rebellion against God and against his people, the devil and the Antichrist have assembled all the armies of the world. Just think about what that means. All the armies of the world. We're talking about the armies of Russia. We're talking about the armies of, uh, of all the forces. China. China today has over a million man army. Right? All of the armies of the world, all of the military might gather together in one location and they say, tomorrow we're going to destroy those people in that city. And it's at this moment that Jesus comes riding on the white horse with the armies of heaven behind him. And in that moment, in that moment, everyone will see him. It says in verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. With that description, somebody else is going to read verse 17 and 18. This is victorious stuff right here. This is what it's all been leading up to. Patrick, 17 and 18. Who's going to read 19 through 21? Taya. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Okay? So the angel makes a pronouncement. Come and gather together for the supper. Okay? Then verse 19 through 21. And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So all of a sudden, their target changes. They're aiming all their guns at Jerusalem. And then they see Jesus riding on the white horse. Coming right at him. The word is like a sword coming out of his mouth. All the saints and angels following behind. And they turn all their guns on this white horse. Let's see what happens next. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, but which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Whoa. All right. So here's what I want you to catch from this battle. How much of a battle is this? (laughs) All of the guns pointed at Jesus. He doesn't get a scratch. And neither do we. And in one moment of time, one moment of time, Jesus defeats all the armies of the earth. One moment of time. Now, I want to say one other thing about what happens here. I want to say about the Jewish people. Because the nation of Israel and the Jews are God's specially chosen people. Remember, throughout this time of tribulation, They've been resisting against the Antichrist. What do you suppose will happen with the Jews in this moment when the Lord comes to defend them? Yes. All the arguing will be over. They will know that the Messiah is here. (laughs) There will be no more question. All of Israel will repent. They'll see Jesus... There is no denying now that he is the Messiah. They will bow their knee and they will worship God and they will receive the Lord Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior in this moment. So this is why, you know, we still love the Jews. We still love the Israelites. 
even though their eyes have been blinded. Paul speaks about that in his epistles, that there is a, there is a blindness over their eyes against Jesus. But in that moment, the blindness will be removed. Jesus will come down and he will defend them personally, even though for all these generations they've been rejecting him. I want you to think about that. How long the Jews have been rejecting Jesus as their Messiah, and yet in this moment he is going to receive them to himself. Not in the same way as we have, because... uh, All of the saints, the church of Jesus, will be with him already. We'll be riding on white horses. But there are people, the Jewish people on the earth, they're basically the last surviving people on earth, right? Everyone else has been destroyed. Every member of of the nations, uh, the armies, the, the, the Bible, that last line there, the birds were filled with their flesh. The battlefield, will they will be decimated. All of the armies against God and against Jerusalem will be destroyed. The birds will peck at their rotting corpses. And the only people left on the earth at that moment are the Jews. Okay? And at that moment, they are going to receive Christ. You know, uh, God still, obviously, people still have a choice. Um, No doubt there will still be a few rebels probably. Uh, But but the, the, the Jewish people, the nation as a whole, will receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Okay, any questions at this moment? Yes, Caitlin. Jews will repent. If there are, I mean, while the battle's going on and people are seeing those signs take place, is there, and Jesus has come back, will there still be a chance for any people who haven't chosen a side in that moment? To oh, yeah. Okay, so, all right. If there are still people around the world, maybe not in this location, and who have survived all of these bowls of wrath, and who have not taken the mark of the beast. So those are all the requirements. That's pretty hard to do in these last seven years. So these are people probably who live on top of mountains and in caves and, you know, the survivalist mentality people who are individual on their own. But, uh, but those people will all have the same chance that the Jews do at this moment if they've not taken the mark of the beast, if they have not participated in the works of the Antichrist, there will be a chance at this moment for them to receive Christ. Okay? So God is still merciful, even at the end of all of this. It's pretty incredible to think about. Okay, I want to read, uh, I need another volunteer. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Who's going to get that for me? We'll close this out quickly tonight. Noel? Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 4. Behold, the day the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east, and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Okay, so the key, ver- the, the key uh, phrase in that scripture is in verse 4, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem. Now compare that to the book of Acts, chapter 1. As they are, as Jesus is saying his last words to his disciples, when he was, uh, when he was spoken, <laughs> now when he had spoken these things, this is verse nine. While they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This traditionally took place. Anybody, any guess where this took place? The Mount of Olives. In other words, the last place that Jesus' feet touched the earth was Mount of Olives in the book of Acts. At this moment, after the final victory against hell, against Antichrist, against the world, guess where his feet will touch down again? Exactly the same spot. The Mount of Olives is directly across from the city of Jerusalem. I haven't been there. I'd love to go visit someday. But the way the city is laid out is that Jerusalem is, is on a hill here. There's a little valley, and then up here is the Mount of Olives. It's less than half a mile away. It's a great perch to be able to look down and see the city of Jerusalem. And it's at that point where Jesus, it is predicted that he will rest his feet once again, where his heavenly feet will touch the earth once again. And it's that moment that begins the procession into the city of Jerusalem. That procession begins with a seismic event. It's said there in Zechariah that the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain will move toward the north, half of it toward the south, and this is going to create an entryway directly into the city of Jerusalem. It's like the king coming to take his throne. That's what it is. His feet touch the Mount of Olives, the mountain splits in half, and there's an entryway that leads directly into Jerusalem. And what happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem? Any guesses? Yes. He is welcomed. What is the place that he is taking in the city of Jerusalem? The king. Oh, yeah. The conquering king. He has come to take authority over the whole earth. And we're going to see next week in chapter 20 uh, about what is happening immediately following this moment. Jesus defeats the final enemies, two out of the three, anyway. He defeats all the armies of the earth that were arrayed against him. And according to Zechariah, he will come into the city of Jerusalem and he becomes the king. Zechariah 14, chapter 14, verse 9. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one. This is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the promise God gave to David. We know that Mary was of the lineage of King David, and that Jesus was born to Mary. And this is the ultimate fulfillment. Jesus comes to take the throne. You know, he didn't do that the first time he came to the earth. He did not receive an earthly throne. But in his second coming, that's exactly what he's going to do. The one who paid the price for us, the one who shed his blood for us, will come as a conquering king. And starting on that day, after all this bloodshed, Jesus becomes the king over the world. So let me ask you, will that be a good day to be on the earth? <laughs> that is the, the, the precursor to the final heaven on earth. It begins a rule and reign of Christ of a thousand years that we're going to see next week. But it's very interesting to think about these things because we will be there. We will follow him. And if Jesus becomes the king of the world, 
then what does that mean for those of us who have followed him? Anybody know? Dave? I believe the Bible says we become joint heirs with Christ. So I'll give you a little sneak preview of chapter 20, verse 4. It says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, the saints, and judgment was committed to them. I saw the souls of those who had, wit- who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received this mark in their foreheads, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, as we've been going through this book of Revelation, we've been seeing a lot of scary things, a lot of um, bowls of judgment, the trumpets, the seals that we talked about. And all of those things have been very scary and and, uh, hard for us to think about. And even this last battle, the battle of Armageddon, as the kings of the earth are attempting one last stand against the Jews and against ultimately God. But it's in this chapter that God wins the final victory. And that is good news. And I want you to remember that. When you're going through a battle, to remember chapter 19 of Revelation. I've read the end of the book. We win this game. We win this fight. We are on the winning side. And no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what the enemy, the Antichrist, uh, throws against us, when we are with Jesus, then we are on the winning side team. Are there any other questions or comments as we close this out? Incredible stuff. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a few moments. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.